Well, thank you both. And if you have not been justified by that blood of Christ and the work that he did on the cross, I would, I would just invite you to come uh, talk to me, talk to Pastor Jeremy or one of the elders so that you could be justified. That is why we are here to, to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we open God's word. Father in heaven, we pray that as we open your word, our hearts would be directed, that our minds would be instructed, and that we as a body of believers would be more mature, that we would be instructed and trained in your word. And I pray more even than our expertise or our skill, that what you, you would cause to grow is our love for one another. That the way that we treat one another would always speak to the great mercy and love of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, as you probably already know, we're going to be looking at the topic of the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. And I want to start by asking, why? Why are we talking about this? Uh, what's, the, what's the purpose of addressing such a difficult topic? And the first reason that we decided to address this topic is that it is a biblical doctrine. I, I don't know if you know, it, it's, not a, um, it's not everywhere in the Bible, but there are three chapters essentially devoted to this discussion in the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week, as Pastor Jeremy addressed the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he had to jump around to five or six different passages, and that's pretty much it. Paul devotes three chapters to this topic. This is what instigated that discussion. And so because it's a part of the counsel of God, we believe, we felt that it would be appropriate and beneficial to address it. Second, the issue of the gift of tongues is very controversial and it is extremely widespread. Estimates range from somewhere between 150 to 500 million people in the world who believe they are speaking in tongues. That is a massive number of people. And when you compare that with the number of people who believe that they are Christians, you see that this is no small section of the church. This is big. Now, it might not be big in our church. It might not be big in our area. But because it's big in the church, it is wise for us to prepare to deal with it. And most importantly, as I referred to in my prayer, it's important that we know how to deal with it in a loving manner. This is a burden in my heart. And I want to just read a couple of verses in chapter 13. In chapter 12, Paul explains in a, in a broader sense spiritual gifts. But there's no question that he is zeroing in on two in particular. One, the gift of tongues, and two, the gift of prophecy. And when he ends chapter 12 and starts 13, it's not by accident. 
It's not coincidental that in the middle of this controversial topic, Paul writes what many consider to be the greatest poetic piece of Scripture. And you know it because you've probably heard it in a wedding or in your own study. It is the chapter devoted to love. And I want to read just the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, let that sink in for a second. If I had this spectacular gift and was able to speak not just in the languages of men, but the languages even of angels, but I lacked love, I'd be nothing. Now, that's a good reminder for those who believe they have the gift to not let that treat or let that cause them to treat others with uh, disdain or disrespect or impatience or unkindness. Without love, we are nothing. But then look at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, if you have all knowledge, and you believe part of that knowledge is so-and-so doesn't have the real gift, but you lack love, then that knowledge profits you not at all. And in our body, and in the body of Christ as a whole, it is essential that even when we disagree, even when we don't see eye to eye, even when our experiences don't match up, that we treat one another with love. And that is our greatest goal in dealing with this, is that we can deal with our brothers and sisters who we might disagree with on, on some things, that we would treat them with love. And Paul goes on in verses uh, 4 and following to describe what that love is. And just look at a couple with me. Verse 4, love is patient. I think the Lord would be blessed I think the Lord would be glorified if patience would characterize the discussions that we have about tongues. I think he would be more glorified by patience in the discussion than that we come to the particular right answer. He says, it doesn't envy or boast. I think the Lord would be far more glorified in us if rather than having a boastful, arrogant, proud attitude about who's right and who's wrong, if instead we were humble and recognized, what do we have but that which we have received? And so we want not only to, to, to look and to see what the Bible says about this topic, but more than anything else, we want the way that we deal with the topic, the way that we deal with any controversy, any disagreement, to be characterized by love, so that Christ is honored in that. And then a third reason, and what really instigated this message, was 
our small groups are going through the book of Acts, as many of you know, and it doesn't take long in the book of Acts to see the gift of tongues, and that raised a number of questions, and so we thought it would be good to, to just give a, uh, an introductory message to what is tongues, and why is it in the book of Acts, and, and what's going on with it. So I hope that clarifies why we're dealing with this message. It's, it's not to stir up controversy. It's not to pick a fight. Rather, it's to help us deal with one another in a loving and gracious way and to help educate regarding what the Bible says about tongues. So with that, let's make a couple of preliminary observations. And these are, uh, they're, they're very important. If I don't make these observations up front, something will be uh, felt missing. Uh, number one, the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues is not a central teaching in the Bible. It's not central. And by that, I don't mean it's not important. It is important, or Paul wouldn't have devoted three chapters to it. But consider this, in the book of Acts, there are three references to the gift of tongues. Just three. There's 28 chapters in the book, and there's only three verses that mention tongues. And outside of that, the only other place it's mentioned is 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Now, it's the whole discussion centers around tongues, but you know that there's no other reference in the Bible to the gift of tongues. And while Paul quotes from the Old Testament and makes application from it, Isaiah 28 in particular, that's not directly addressing what we call the gift of tongues. It is addressing it in purpose and in principle. So basically, there's four passages in the Bible that deal with the gift of tongues. And so it's very important that we recognize this is not central. It's not central. It is significant. It is important. But it's not central. Number two, the gift of tongues is a complex subject. It's a complex subject. Look at chapter 14, verse 20. In the middle of his discussion, and when Paul is about to get to one of the most important points he makes, he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Now, that's not a random statement. He doesn't just make that out of nowhere. The reason he says that is he's about to launch into a subject that requires mature thinking. This is not some quick, easy fix. He's saying this is going to take your full attention, your full focus. Pay attention. Don't be a child in your thinking. Be mature. Be like a man in your thinking. And so this subject, by Paul's own statement, requires a level of maturity because it is complex. It's not simple. It's not simple. It would be nice if it were, but it's not. And so don't be discouraged if you say, I, I don't get this right away. I still have questions. Of course you do. That's to be expected because it's a complex subject. Number three the gift of tongues is the gift of languages. It's the gift of languages. This isn't readily apparent in any translation, but in the Greek, the word for tongue, like the one you have in your mouth, 
that tongue, the word for language, and the word translated tongues, as in the gift of tongues, they're all the same word. It's not hard to figure out how they connect with what do you speak a language? Your tongue. And that's why it's called tongue. And back in, uh, I think it was Wycliffe who first translated the word uh, into tongue, when he said that, that's exactly what tongue meant, a language. We are not of the same tongue. What does that mean? It means we don't speak the same language. And so tongue, the gift of tongues, is fundamentally the gift of languages. Now that might confuse you though because it's not the gift to learn languages. If you went to school and you studied another language and you, now you're fluent in uh, uh, Arabic, you don't have the gift. You have a gift, it's just not the spiritual gift of tongues. And so recognize that as you're reading. What's going on and what, what, what is Paul saying? What is this? Is this just some weird uh, activity going on? Well, not what Paul's addressing. What Paul's addressing is the gift of languages, but it is miraculous. It's not something learned. And then the fourth observation, which I feel uh, <clears throat> I have to make, is the topic of tongues is simply too big to deal with in one message. There's no way that I can adequately deal with everything related to tongues in one message. In fact, if I had to estimate, uh, I think it would probably take about a quarter of a year for me to communicate all that I have regarding tongues. And that wouldn't be stretching it. That, that would be a fairly conservative estimate. And so what I'm trying to do is distill into one message an introductory so that you have the most significant points under your belt. You understand what matters most. There is no way that I'm going to deal with every issue related to tongues. And I have to say that because I feel bad every time I don't give you a full discussion and a full description of what's going on. I know. And that will also prompt me to say, if this is something you really do want to know about, feel free to come and talk to me or mention it to one of the elders. If this is something that needs to be addressed further, something like an ABF, something like a joint ABF or another uh, set of messages on it is something we can do, but we don't want to launch into a 16-part uh, series. <laughs> Probably this introduction should be enough. All right, good. Now, let's look at what the primary teaching of the Bible is regarding tongues. I'm picking the, what I think are the most important, most significant points regarding tongues, and this is basically topical in nature. If I had it, uh, if I got to pick, my preferred way of doing this would be to walk through the whole three chapters with you so that you see exactly what Paul's saying. Just reading all three chapters would take about 15 minutes, and so that's not going to happen today. But these are what I consider to be the most primary or significant teaching uh, regarding tongues in the Bible. Number one, number one, the gift of tongues is one of the spiritual gifts. It's one of the spiritual gifts. The gift of tongues is not a human-generated or empowered gift. It is a spiritual gift. What are the implications of this? Number one, gifts are given by God and by His choice. They're given by His choice. 
Look at, back at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and look at verse 11. After listing all of the different gifts, Paul says in verse 11, all these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. They're empowered by the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what does that tell us? First, the genuine, authentic gift of tongues is one that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is not empowered by human ingenuity. It's not empowered by learned skill. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's apportioned to certain people by God's choice. Not by hard work, not by something you learn. It is, it is apportioned according to God's will. Now, you know this if you look at any of the gifts. Consider a gift like uh, administration. And I know from working with Pastor Jeremy, not everyone has the gift of administration. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> that is not a condemnation. That is recognizing that God gives to certain people certain gifts. But you all know also that not everyone has the gift of teaching. And Pastor Jeremy does. And so we don't say, well, you don't have all the gifts. We don't like you. We say, praise the Lord for what he has given you and given us in you. So not everyone has the, the well, no, the, I'm skipping ahead. God is the one who chooses who gets what gift. And if he has given you one and not another, that is by his choice and not by wrongdoing on your part, not by a lack of spirituality, not by a lack of biblical knowledge, by his choice. Number two, no gift is universal. No gift is universal. This is significant. I will say with dogmatic, biblical confidence, not all of you should speak in tongues. <laughs> I'm not going out on a limb by saying that. And anyone who says all should speak in tongues is contradicting clear teaching of the Bible. Look at verse 29. I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 29, if, in case you went back to 14. Chapter 12, verse 29. Are all apostles? Answer, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Duh. No. <laughs> Verse 30, do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. No, they don't. Do all interpret? No, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And he, we'll get to, I'll explain a little bit of that in a second. But Paul's point is emphatic. Not everyone should have the gift. And there's no question as you read chapters 12 through 14, the, the Corinthians were saying, if you don't have this gift, you're second class. If you don't have this gift, you're missing something. Something's wrong with you. And to that, Paul says, no. God chooses who has what gifts, and no gift is universal. 
No gift is universal. Therefore, if you lack the gift, it is not a result of your sin or your lack of spirituality or your quenching of the Spirit. That is unbiblical. Number three, tongues are very low in priority among the gifts. Tongues are very low in priority among the gifts. This is uh, very interesting. I think I have the wrong reference there. 28 is, is what I meant to have. Chapter 12, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. You see the priority that's being given here? Is there any question the apostles are first? No, of course not. That's obvious. They, they're the ones responsible for uh, the New Testament, essentially. God has appointed in the church first apostles. So number one is apostles. Number two, prophets. Number three, teachers. Then, miracles. Does that surprise you? Mr. ABF teacher? You're more important than the miracle worker down the road. That's, that's what it says. Third is teacher, and after that comes miracles. Then, gifts of healing. What? I mean, surely heal. I mean, if you could walk around and just heal people, free them of their cancer, or their bum knee, or their disability, Surely, that would be more powerful and more important than a teacher. And the answer, no. Because it's through the teaching of God's word that men are saved, and that is a far greater miracle than a healing. So this is the priority. He continues, helping. The gift of helps. There's no way around that. That's not a, glory, a glorified or glorious, spectacular gift. Helping. What's your spiritual gift? I help people. That, 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 that's the common, the servant who does that. And in the kingdom of God, that is exalted, isn't it? The first shall be last, and the last shall be First, and anyone who wishes to be a leader must be a servant of all. And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here, the gift of helping, or the gift of helps, is, is a, a spiritual gift. And then next, administrating or administration. And then last, various kinds of Tongues. So he gives that whole list of gifts. Number one, apostles. Two, prophets. Three, teachers. Four, miracles. Five, healing. Six, helping. Seven, administration. And, all right, fine. Various kinds of tongues. Eight gifts are mentioned. That's not exhaustive, and so I hesitate to say it's last of all. But it's not coincidental that Paul puts it at the very end of what he does say. And that does not denigrate it because who do they come from? They come from God. And he will tell us why it matters and why it is important. 
But if we put it up at the top of the list and say it's the most important, or maybe it's second most important after apostles, again, we are contradicting what the Bible says. If you think of the gift of tongues as more important than administration, you have a verse which tells you you're thinking about it incorrectly. The priority is clear, and tongues is not at the top. Number four, gifts are for the body, not the individual. Not the individual. Look at verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why do you have the gift that you do? Not for yourself. It is for the common good. It is for the good of the rest of the body. And so the gift of tongues is not given for the sake of the tongue speaker. It's given for the sake of the body. And if anyone is operating with the gift of tongues and all it does is serve them, then something is missing. Something's out of line. That doesn't mean that it is not a gift. It simply means the use of it needs to be adjusted. Let me, let me illustrate that briefly. If you have the gift of teaching and all you do is serve yourself with that teaching, you study and study, but you never tell anyone what you learn. You never actually teach anyone. Does that mean you don't have the gift of teaching? No, it just means you're not using it properly. And so anyone with the gift of tongues who uses it only for, their, for themselves isn't using it properly. So those are all, those four implications are drawn from the fact that it's, it's one of, it really is a spiritual gift. It's given by God and by his choice. It's no gift is universal. Not everyone should have it. It's low on the priority uh, list and it is not for the sake of the individual. Now the second primary teaching in the Bible on the gift of tongues is that tongues has a specific purpose. Tongues has a specific purpose. Number one, and this is the specific purpose. This is what the Bible tells us its purpose is. Turn over to chapter 14. And I want to start in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now, I don't have time to deal with the full extent of what Paul's saying, but I do want to summarize it. Paul quotes here from Isaiah chapter 28. And you can go back to Isaiah 28. I'd recommend you do this sometime if you're interested. Read the whole chapter, and the message is really clear. 
The message is, you guys blew it, and I'm going to judge you. That's the message of Isaiah 28. You've blown it, I'm going to judge you. And to uh, expand on that a little bit, I spoke to you year after year after year, and to you I sounded like somebody babbling. That is, you didn't listen to me. I spoke to you and you didn't listen. I spoke to you and you didn't listen. I spoke to you and you didn't listen. Therefore, I'm going to speak to you and you won't be able to understand. And what he means in that passage, it's no question, it's very straightforward. I'm going to judge you by sending the Assyrians to destroy you. What does that have to do with babbling? What does that have to do with uh, languages? Well, what language did the Assyrians speak? Assyrian. It's an easy one. They spoke Assyrian. So they come into Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem, and what do they speak? A language that none of the people understand. And so what God says is, I'm going to bring in a foreign people to wipe you out, and when they wipe you out, they will speak, and you will not understand anything. If you have grown up in a bilingual home, and I, let's just say you, you speak English and you speak Spanish. And Spanish is your native language, but you're in America, and so you've learned to speak English, and that's what you normally speak. When mom or dad is livid with the kids, what language will they speak in? <laughs> Isn't that true? That's the image that God is painting. I have spoken to you and spoken to you and spoken to you and you're ignoring me and therefore I'm going to speak to you in a language you can't comprehend. And in that instance, it was Assyrian. It was the Assyrian speaking. Then what does that have to do with the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues, Paul is saying, signifies God's judgment. It signifies God's judgment. Its purpose is to show God is judging you, specifically Israel. He is so upset with Israel and their disobedience that he is going to speak to them in a language they can't comprehend. Number two, that is its primary purpose. That they're, they're, I, don't, I don't think there's any way around it. That's the main reason God gave tongues. If you read chapter 14 in that section, 20 to 25, that is clear. But that doesn't mean there are no other purposes. Okay, I want to acknowledge that. Just because that's its primary purpose doesn't mean it has no other purposes. Does that make sense? And so if someone suggests, well, isn't one of the purposes of tongues X, Y, or Z? Well, that's possible, but it's not the primary purpose, okay? The second purpose that I, I think is legitimately found in Scripture is that it edifies the body. It edifies the body, but only when it's interpreted. And Paul spends all uh, the whole paragraph in chapter 14, all the, all the way from 6 to 19, proving one point. And his point is this. 
If you speak in tongues, but do not have it interpreted, it's worthless. It's worthless. And he gives illustration after illustration to show that this is true. What good is it if the army uh, trumpeter blows the trumpet, but doesn't hit a distinct note? Does anyone get out of their bed and get ready for war? No. So if it's true with a lifeless thing, how much more true is it with a living tongue, a language? If you don't comprehend what's said, it does you no good. And he says, the person who speaks in tongues or prays in a tongue may edify himself, which seems to not be a good thing since they're given for the edification of the body, but he may benefit somehow himself, but nobody else can say amen to his prayer. You ever think about that? I, I remember going uh, to Holland with a, a friend that I met in Switzerland, and I came to Holland, and I came to church, and all I had done with Hans was speak English. He spoke English. That's what we spoke. So when I walked into the church, I expected an English service. That was pretty silly. <laughs> they were in Holland. So they spoke Dutch, and I had no idea what they were talking about. The whole service. I had no idea. And at the end of the service, whether or not the church was good and biblical or not, I really did not know. And so I couldn't at the end say, amen. I was wonderful. Praise the Lord. Why? Because I had no idea what they said. And in the same way, tongues, nobody else knows what's being said unless it's interpreted. And Paul says that if it is interpreted, it does benefit. Look at verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And uh, I'm not going to spend any time on it. But that phrase, I want you all, could very easily be translated, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. It's not a statement, I want you all to learn how to speak in tongues. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, it would be wonderful if everyone was a prophet. It would be wonderful if all of us could heal. That's the sense in which he's saying it. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. You see what that's saying? He's not saying, don't do it. It's forbidden. He's saying, if you do it, it's not going to do any good unless it's interpreted. And if it is interpreted, it's essentially a teaching, a revelation, a prophecy, and it can build up the church. And then verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And his implied answer is, you won't. If you come to me speaking in tongues, you'll do me no good unless through an interpretation you bring me a revelation or a teaching or knowledge then I can benefit. Then I can benefit. So its second purpose is to edify the body. The primary purpose is to show God's judgment. The secondary purpose, or a secondary purpose, is to edify the body only when it's interpreted. And then third, and this is what you see in the book of Acts, third is that it is a sign, a sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. In every one of the passages in the book of Acts, the tongue speaking occurs right after the people received the Holy Spirit. 
Now that might lead you to conclude, well then, isn't it just speaking in tongues? Doesn't everyone have to do it to show they have the Holy Spirit? No, that's one of the signs, but there are also many other times in the book of Acts where people receive the Holy Spirit and they don't speak in tongues. So does that mean they didn't receive the Holy Spirit? No, 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 no. Just because three times they did doesn't mean every time they should. Just because three times they did doesn't mean every time you should. And so, but it is a legitimate purpose of tongues to demonstrate that they had received the Spirit. And that uh, issue in particular in chapter 10 is what shuts the mouths of the Jews who were saying, you can't go to the Gentiles. Peter went, God had to force him out of his, his house, force him into a Gentile territory through vision that he had to repeat three times. And finally, when he shows up, he's still not convinced God's going to do anything. And when he's speaking and preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles and they begin speaking in tongues. And you know what Peter said? Oh, I guess God is giving his spirit to the Gentiles too. Wow. I didn't think that had happened. And he goes back to Jerusalem and guess what all of those Jews say? What are you doing going to the Gentiles? And he says, I don't know, but here's what happened. I was teaching them and then the Holy Spirit came on them. And who was I to deny the water for baptism if the Spirit had baptized them? And guess what? All the Jews were silenced. They said, okay, we got that one wrong. <laughs> we had no idea that was going to happen. But God, through the gift of tongues, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, showed that he was welcoming in the Gentiles to his people. The third primary teaching on biblical tongues is that the gift of tongues has specific restrictions. And this is what I, I, I'd, I'd love for us to focus on this and not focus on the finer details. Not that you shouldn't talk about those, but if we get this right, I think you're going to find there is a tremendous freedom, a tremendous uh, peace this will protect us from abuses, misuses of the gifts. And we, there's no one who denies that there aren't misuses. Now, uh, I didn't say that properly. Everyone recognizes there are abuses of the gifts. In Corinth there were. In the New Testament there were abuses. And so there are abuses. This is the protection that God offers us. Number one, it must edify and it must be orderly. Look at verse 26, 1426. <clears throat> what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. That's the word for edification. Let everything we do be done for edification. And so in the same way you would say, yeah, we're not going to do a Guns N' Roses song in the middle of a church service because that's not going to build anyone up, right? Yes? Jason, what do you mean it would? <laughs> that's not going to build anyone up in the same way any use of tongues or any other gift that doesn't build up is wrong. 
Any use of any gift that doesn't build others up is wrong. So it must edify. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the second thing is it must be orderly. Whatever goes on in a church service must be orderly. It has to be. Why? Because the God we're worshiping is not a confusing, chaotic, random God. He is an orderly God. And therefore, what should his people be like? Orderly. That's why I comb my hair. <laughs> and then verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. So that's rule number one. It has to edify and it has to be orderly. Rule number two, it must not be required. It should not be required. Another way of saying that is it's optional. It's optional. Uh, look at verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. I'll stop there. We'll get to those in a second. But the way Paul phrases it makes it very clear. You don't have to do this. You don't have to have someone speak in tongues. But if you do, then do this. So restriction number two is it can't be required. Anyone who says you have to be speaking in tongues or you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that we, we can draw a line there safely, biblically. No, it's not required. It's not. Rule number three, it must be limited to a maximum of three people. Verse 27 again. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. He couldn't be any clearer. He means it. Three's a limit. But what if there's a fourth person with the gift and he wants to, he feels let? No. But I really, no. At most, three. Now, there's a freedom in that, isn't there? That if I know that there's at most three and there's 25 people who want to do it, it's not my own authority that's saying, no, guys, we're going to have to limit it. Three. How about me too? No, just three. That's a maximum. The fourth rule, it has to be done one at a time. And I would imagine that this in particular, if, this, if churches weren't filled with people speaking in tongues at the same time, the confusion and the chaos and the disorder of that, that's what trips so many people up. What is going on? This cacophony, this madness, or so it seems to an outsider. And it doesn't mean that everyone doing it doesn't have the gift, but it does mean the way the gift is being exercised isn't biblical. Uh, again, 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. So he says one at a time. Why do you think? Isn't that perfectly consistent with God is a God, not of confusion, but of order. And so do it in order one at a time. I, I sometimes joke with the high schoolers or the junior hires, I can only hear one person at a time. They both start to talk at the same time, and what happens? You can't hear either one of them usually. It's chaotic. 
And so do one at a time so that everyone can hear and everyone can be edified. Number five, it must be interpreted. This is Paul's most emphatic point. It has to be interpreted. Verse 27, I'm going to skip to the end. Each in turn and let someone interpret. Verse 28, really? But what if there is no interpreter? Shouldn't I use it anyway? No. Verse 28, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And that's probably not a, a commendation to speak to yourself and to God. It's kind of like, go talk to yourself. That's kind of what he's saying. Don't talk in the church if there's no interpreter. Just go talk to yourself if you've got to do it. Not, it's not a, hey, well, a valid alternative. We encourage you to go talk to yourself as much as it is. If that's what you've got to do, fine, go talk to yourself. Again, that's not what you do in a church service. I don't think any of us would be edified if, if we came in on Sunday morning and uh, there's Greg Rolak off in the corner praying to God by himself. And, and he's it's just standing there and everyone's greeting each other and what's Greg doing? Just talking to himself and God. Would anyone be edified by that? How many people would be creeped out? I, I would be. <laughs> so he's not... <laughs> He's not saying, go ahead and do this. This is what I really want you to do. He's saying, don't speak in tongues without an interpreter. There has to be an interpreter. Number six, and this is the most uh, probably neglected of them. Number six, it must be weighed, weighed by the church. Look at verse 29. And this is specifically talking about prophecy but I, I, I'm pretty sure that it applies to tongues as well. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others, which most likely means the rest of the, the elders, the rest of the leaders, the rest of the, the, uh, the godly men in the church, let the others weigh what is said. Another way of saying weigh is sift. Let the other people sift what is said. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever sifted flour, but what do you get after sifting? What's left in your sifter? Junk, right? Isn't it? Unless you have really good flour, then maybe it's all good. But you sift out the junk and you throw the junk away and you find a rock sometimes in your rice, something like that. You sift it out, you get rid of it. And Paul says, sift what's said. Someone speaks in tongues and there's an interpreter. What do we do? Sift it. Weigh it with God's word. And if we weigh what is said and sift what is said, God is saying, I will protect you from eating any rocks. Sift it out. Sift it out. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, keep your thumb in 1 Corinthians because we'll come back to that and then we'll wrap it up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Remarkable. Verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the spirit. This is what non-charismatics are often accused of doing 
to charismatics is you're quenching the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. Don't ask whether or not this is of God. It is. Don't question it. Look at 19. Do not quench the Spirit. What do you mean? Do not despise or hate or look down on prophecies. Okay, then what should I do? But test everything. Did you catch that? He said the way to not quench the Spirit is to test everything. So when you hear a prophecy, when you hear someone who is speaking in tongues and it's interpreted, what does God tell you to do with it? Test it. And guess what you do if you don't test it? If you do not test a tongue or a prophecy, you quench the Holy Spirit. That, that is remarkable. That's the opposite of what we often hear. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Do test everything. And what do we do? Hold fast to that which is good. So it's like this. You sift out the prophecy, just like you're going to sift my message. Every sermon you hear, you sift. You see, is everything good? And you take out what's bad. You throw that away and you hold fast to what's good. You don't throw all the flour out because there's one rock in it. You sift it and you get rid of the rock and you keep the flour. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It must be weighed by the church. We are commanded to sift, to weigh, to test. And that's not, a, uh, that's not an insult to the preacher. That's a compliment. The best thing you can tell me is, Pastor, I was reading my Bible and I was thinking about what you said and I had a question. That's wonderful. That's exactly what you ought to be doing. It's not an insult. Finally, number seven, the gift of tongues has specific restrictions. It must not be forbidden. Look at verse 39. This is the temptation. When you see something you don't like, forbid it. Make a law. Don't do it. You can't. It's wrong. Don't. Verse 39. So my brothers, chapter 14, sorry. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. At the end of his whole discussion, and in the church of Corinth, there's no doubt there was false speaking in tongues. There's no doubt because he starts his conversation by saying, some of you in, you think in the spirit are saying Jesus is accursed. Does that sound like a valid gift? Uh-uh. So we know there was a false gift being exercised, but after all of his discussion, he says, do not forbid it. But what do we do? Test everything. Weigh, sift, and hold fast to what is good. On the back of your notes, I've listed seven or six questions. Actually, do you have seven or six? Six. Okay, good. I got rid of one. I have six questions and we have no time to go over any of them. But if you're interested in some of those questions, feel free to come and ask me. Uh, I, I've got plenty to say on them, but for obvious reasons, we're not going to cover those now. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we read your word and we consider this topic, I pray that our hearts would be strengthened by your love. 
that we would be able to be patient um, and kind in the midst of our discussions about what is tongues and what's going on. And even though we may not have concrete answers for every detail, we know that your word is sufficient for everything we need. And so where it does not speak clearly, I pray that you would help us to rest in what it has said, that we might find strength in what you have told us and not go beyond what is written, that your church might be edified, that your body may be united in Christ, and that your name would be praised among the nations. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.